Have you ever admired a leader and wondered just what it is that makes her who she is? How he came to embrace the things that advanced him? Welcome to Timeless Leadership, where we look at the principles that define success. This is a show for leaders at all stages of their careers who aspire to understand what it truly means to be a leader. And who is a leader? John Adams said, If your actions inspire others to dream more, learn more, do more, and become more, you are a leader. Together, we'll explore key principles, not only in the sense of the fundamentals, but also in the ethical sense. The habits, character traits, and virtues that form the backbone of leadership. Principles that are just as relevant and essential in the 21st century as they were in the first century. This is Timeless Leadership. Hello, friends, and welcome to Timeless Leadership, where we explore principles and virtues that accompany successful and admirable leaders. I'm Scott Monty. If you aren't yet subscribed to the Timeless and Timely newsletter, where I regularly write about these topics, please do so at scottmonty.com. This week, we are exploring kindness. Have you noticed the admiration we give to leaders who are cutthroat and so-called killers. Legendary General Electric CEO uh, Jack Welch was known as Neutron Jack, and Oracle's Larry Ellison was once described as, quote, a modern-day Genghis Khan. It's as if we take the base elements of humanity from a time when we were hunters and apply it to business and leadership. But leadership isn't only about the outcomes. It's about how you get there. It isn't about the title you have, but it's how you treat people along the way. As the saying goes, it's nice to be important, but it's more important to be nice. Leaders are human, and they struggle with the challenges that life brings, just like anyone else. Fred Rogers observed Mutually caring relationships require kindness, patience, tolerance, optimism, joy in the other's achievements, confidence in oneself, and the ability to give without undue thought of gain. We need to accept the fact that it's not in the power of any human being to provide all the things all the time. For any of us, mutually caring relationships will also include some measure of unkindness and impatience, intolerance pessimism, envy, self-doubt, and disappointment. Being nice can seem like a struggle at times. How can leaders manage to be nice at the same time they take on crises and motivate their teams and push for results? Well, we've got someone to help us figure that out. Who's the nicest person you know? If you don't know Dave Delaney yet, then that answer may change by the end of this show. Dave is a speaker, corporate trainer, a podcaster, and an author known as a communication connoisseur. He's the creator of The Nice Method. He helps fast-growing companies reach their people through comprehensive communication workshops and presentations. Dave works with brands like Google, FedEx, LinkedIn, and UPS. He's an American Marketing Association Award winner and has appeared in USA Today, Entrepreneur, Inc., Fortune, and Billboard magazine. His acclaimed book, New Business Networking, explores online and offline tools, tips, and techniques to grow and nurture your professional network for your business and career by communicating the nice way. Dave was born and raised in Toronto and lives in Nashville. And he's an all-around nice guy. Dave, welcome to Timeless Leadership. Scott, thank you so much for having me. I am thrilled to be here uh, in our little fireside chat. Absolutely. So I have to, I have to start off, Dave, by asking you, 
are you nice simply because you're Canadian? <laughs> I'm nice with the Queen's English. I like to add a lot of use to word it. I like that. I like that. So, so tell me about this. How did you stumble into uh, creating Nice as part of your brand and as part of your offering as a consultant? Yeah, it's a great question. Uh, you know, for years, I, I I've always focused, you know, on that on that golden rule, right? To, you know, treat people the way you want to be treated. Um, I, I've I've clobbered my kids over the head in the nicest way possible, I might add, uh, <laughs> to remind them of this and how important it is. And I think my mom uh, taught me, taught me this at an early age. So I've always set out to, to treat people the way I want to be treated, to, to, to be nice, to be cool, to be a good person. And, um, over the years, you know, I kept having people introduce me as a nice guy or, or, you know, mention, you know, to me in confidence and talk about like, man, nice. That's such a thing. Like I always think of you when I think of nice, and um, so the more I started thinking about that, the more it made sense to kind of weave into my overall uh, my overall brand and, you know, who I am and, and what I do as a as a business owner and mm. entrepreneur. Yeah. And were, were there people in your childhood or your education or your early career that stood out as, quote unquote, nice that you emulated or that you learned something from? Oh, yeah. I mean, there's been many people. Um, and I've written, you know, I read a blog and, and, and have written articles about some of these people over the years. Like, for example, um, uh, I went to a camp as a kid, Kilku Camp in northern or southern Ontario, I guess, northern north of Toronto. And when the uh, the owner of the camp who, who ran the camp had uh, he passed away um, and I went down to his he, he was having they were having a, a service for him in this uh, large cathedral in downtown Toronto, St. James Cathedral. And I went down to kind of, you know, just went down by myself just to sort of say goodbye, I guess. And, um, and they, it was so packed that they had to have like overflow tents outside with speakers. So wow. that these, because, and, and this is the largest cathedral in Toronto, I might add. And uh, it dawned on me very early on, I'm like, wow, I would love to have this lasting impression on, on this many people, like to, to have a career where you affect this many, you know, this many people is just, you know, just incredible. Um, and actually, his son, uh, 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 David Latimer, now runs the camp, and I will be interviewing him on my podcast soon, which is going to be very interesting because, you know, I haven't really talked to him since I was a kid. So, uh, so that's going to be that's going to be a fun conversation. That's like the full circle of nice, right? Yeah, bring it bring it back around. You know, I'll I'll tell you another very quick story, um, which is a long story, but I'll tell you the the short version is if any of the the listeners here are familiar with um, blues music or if they play guitar or if they know the Telecaster, the master of the Telecaster was a blues artist named Albert Collins and otherwise known as the Iceman. And uh, this is a longer story, but the short version is that he came to Toronto and he was my number one living blues uh, you know, favorite. And I went to go see him live and introduced myself to him as he was getting off his tour bus. He brought me backstage. He brought my friends backstage. We all hung out with the band. And then uh, <laughs> he brought me on the road to the next gig. Um, and I'm 18. I'm like hanging out in the tour bus. We're driving. He's driving his own tour bus. And so I wrote a blog post called like six life lessons from a living blues legend. Uh, all about, you know, the things I learned. And, and as the more people that I met over the years who had similar interactions with Albert Collins, they all said, like, he was just the nicest, nicest guy and, a, and an amazing blues uh, artist, guitar player and, and singer as well. Yeah. Well, that's incredible. I mean, it's a story that stayed with you for years and years. I mean, you're still telling it today. Um, yes, absolutely. I mean, it was it was kind of a dream come true to to meet one of your favorite artists and then he he actually invites you to, to go on the road to the next gig in the tour bus and hang out. And then, uh, it, you know, when he the next year when he came back through Toronto, um, he called me and said, I'm coming back through. Do you want to do you want to help me out again? And the way I helped him out, he taught me how 
uh, Albert Collins famously played this Telecaster, but he always played with it with a wire. He didn't like the radio, you know, the wireless. But he was the known he was known for sometimes like getting really carried away with this chord where he would play in the audience. He'd play a solo, but there were times when you know I think there was a story in Chicago where he exited during a guitar solo, exited the club, went next door, ordered a slice of pizza, and then walked back as he was playing his solo <laughs> with hundreds of feet of, of patch cord behind him. And so he taught me how to carry the, the cord like a lasso kind of behind him as he was doing the solos in the audience. And so I had all these people patting my back like I was in the band or something. And it was, you know, I'm like 18, 19, something like that. That's, and uh, yeah, it was just absolutely amazing. So that's fantastic. Uh, but he was a very giving guy and and just super super nice. Well, th- th- this is interesting because a lot of times when people say, "Well, I want to I want to act kind, I want to act nice," in some manner of thinking, they may be trying to go for the return. In other words, they're being nice to someone, so someone will be nice to them back. And right. in his case, what did he have to gain? by showing you that kindness? It's a great question. I think, you know, there are other, um, there are other musicians who, who I I don't know if they reciprocated or not. Um, but he was, he was, he was famous for bringing on other young guitar players or, or, you know, up and coming guitar players on stage to play with him. He even offered me to come up and play, even though I didn't play at the time, I suppose that could have changed my career had I played. Um, Maybe he could have he could have taught you on stage. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, I mean, I think I think it was just a matter of not like you know one thing I've always focused on is also not forgetting my roots and understanding kind of where I've come from in my own career. And I and I think for him, I think it was just a matter of the community of music and 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 giving back and being supportive of other people, no matter what level they were in their career. I mean, Albert Collins, to anybody who knows blues or knows guitar, you know, rock or blues, they know Albert Collins. But to those who don't know, if, if you know blues, I say, you know, you would probably, and you don't know any blues, you would probably just say B.B. King. That name would come to mind. Sure. And he was sort of just under B.B. King in a sense. But they played a lot together. And so I think, you know, in a weird way, it's sort of, you know, beneficial i guess in a networking sort of way um that others may reciprocate later but that's the whole essence of what i talk about and write about with networking and over on networkingfornicepeople.com right the the idea of providing value to other people first and foremost no matter what without expecting anything in return but you know call it karma call it what you like but i I do believe that this thing does you know these things these these nice gestures that you can do throughout your career you know will come back eventually Mm. well you have a presentation that you give and it's called the roi of nice can you take us through what you mean by the roi of nice and what some of the principles there are yeah, yeah. So the ROI of NICE, I just actually did this for IABC, and I'm doing it again for another IABC chapter uh, at the end of, I think, next month. Um, but the I, the ROI of NICE, the return on investment of being nice, right? This is what it's all about. And it breaks down to three S's, um, self, stakeholders, and society. Now, I'm a sucker for alliteration, so or, or for, so I had to, I had to do the, those three S's. Um, but the, the point of the, the presentation is what I want people to do when they see it. Um, and I deliver this, by the way, for organizations uh, privately, but I also do it at, at conferences as, as keynotes and training. The, the first S is, is self. And it's a leadership talk to teach leaders to be nice to themselves. You've got to be able to be nicer to yourself mm. because if you're a mess, then your, your team's going to be a mess and you're not going to be able to give back and support communities um at all because you'll be you'll just be a hot mess so the key thing is to focus on yourself and being nicer to yourself and then being nicer to the stakeholders in your organization by giving back by supporting them and i have you know methods and examples of this in that presentation and then finally being nice to society getting your team members involved but also yourself you know finding ways to to give back whether that's through uh effective altruism 
um, to help, you know, causes across the world or whether it's or and or helping, you know, local organizations like, for example, I, I do some LinkedIn work and I, I help uh, individuals with their LinkedIn profiles. Uh, and, and, and in doing that, I give uh, a percentage of all of those uh, earnings to a local food bank. And so for every audit I sell, I give uh, we, we provide 100 meals to a food bank. Mm. And so, again, it's just an example of how you can give back to your community. So the ROI of NICE is all about focusing on these three S's, being nice to yourself, nice to your stakeholders, and then nice to society as a whole. That's really refreshing to hear. And the way you break it down like that, I, th- I think it makes a lot of sense because w- when you th- there's not a lot of focus, I think, on on self-care. Uh, you know, we, we talk about uh, leaders being uh, emotionally intelligent. And one of the aspects mm-hmm. of emotional intelligence or EQ is is to be self-aware. And in being right. self-aware, I mean, that just as you say, that, that comes by being kind to yourself and treating yourself the way you would want to treat others. I mean, we always talk about treating others the way we'd want to be treated, but we don't really spend a lot of time thinking about how we uh, want to be treated or how we treat ourselves. So I think that's, right. that's so so key. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. And and I mean, it, it goes back, I mean, if you want to take it back, uh, you know, we, we, we do talk about things historical here, um, you know, the teachings of, of Jesus, um, you know, from, from uh, the New Testament, uh, it, it, it's a matter of loving yourself uh, as you love your neighbor or loving your neighbor as you love yourself. So it's a very uh, kind of core principle that humanity has known for a long time. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, Dave, based on your your concept of the ROI of nice, and I know you have a you have an acronym there. Uh, listen. What does what does listen stand for to you? Listen. Uh, so when I speak about listening, um, you know, one of the the most important. So I have uh, co-hosted a couple of unconferences over the years, and I co-founded or I co-founded a couple of unconferences over the years. And then I I created uh, two monthly networking events that I ran for years as well. And so in doing that, I got to observe the way people communicated with one another a lot, you know, in a cocktail sort of setting. Uh, And and so I observed this, but then I also, uh, you know, started started focusing on this. And as I wrote my book, uh, my book is called New Business Networking. I actually shared this. This is something I came along to. Um, and it was by, and I'm, I'm trying to think, I believe it was like the British Nursing Association <laughs> okay. uh, had this acronym for LISTEN. And uh, it stands for, uh, the L in LISTEN stands to look, uh, stands for looking interested. So that means that when you speak to somebody, looking them in the eyes. Now, a lot of what I do and what we do these days is online. Um, so a variation of that is looking at the web camera, right? <laughs> um, and, and there's a great, I stole from David Burkus, I believe, who's a great body language and, and speaker as well, and a peer, um, where you stick a post-it note upside down. Uh, so the sticky part is above your webcam that has a smiley face on it. Um, so that you're looking at that smiley face as you're speaking to somebody on a web conference, because you want to be looking at their face, making that eye to eye connection. So the L stands for looking interested. Um, and that means looking them in the eyes. It means responding. Um, uh, the I stands for involve yourself by responding. And that might mean, you know, nodding. It might mean smiling. It might mean, you know, asking, asking some follow-up questions. So, Listen. So the L is look interested. The I is involve yourself. The S is stay on uh, target. And the target, when you speak to somebody, the, you picture a target on them, not in like a violent way, <laughs> <laughs> a bullseye. Uh, but the idea here is the target is on the person you are speaking with. So a, a good example of this is that, you know, and we've all done this where you, you go to an event. Remember when we did that? Uh, you, you go to an event and you're speaking to somebody and you leave the event. And afterwards you think, gosh, that woman that I met tonight was great. I really liked her a lot. What was her name again? Um, well, she worked. Oh, where does she work? Uh, where was she from? She was from. Uh, and you realize you don't remember anything about her, but you really liked her. And what you realize or, you know, what you realize is the reason why you really liked her is because she let you do the bulk of the talking. 
And when you do the bulk of the talking, so the idea here is the target is on the person you're speaking with and let them do the bulk of the talking. And you can do that by asking open-ended follow-up questions like, how did that make you feel? Or what did you do next? Or, you know, something like that. Uh, and then the, uh, the uh, uh, where, where am I at? The E uh, is uh, 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 empower that person. And so, you know, make, make them feel feel great. And then finally, the end is neutralize the feeling. So and that just means that if they say something that rubs you the wrong way, you know, don't unless it's something terrible. But I mean, if it's something like, you know, making fun of your local sports team or something, you know, you got to kind of neutralize those feelings and and move on. So so that's like the 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 listen acronym for for actively listening and how you can do that you know, more effectively. Yeah, that that is profound, Dave. I mean, again, it's a it's a simple mnemonic listen looking mm. interested mm. involving yourself by responding staying on target testing your understanding evaluating the message neutralizing the feelings mm-hmm. um yes it, it's not rocket science is it it's not it's not and and when you think about that and when you this, this is the reason why i love doing a talk like a keynote presentation um at a conference because when when a conference because i've organized my own over the years but when a conference planner or a meeting planner hires me to, to deliver this, uh, this talk, um, I get the audience empowered enough and, and informed enough to, to kind of let their, let their guard down and, and, and network effectively, network nicely, as I, as I say. Um, and then new relationships are built. And so when you network effectively and you network nicely at a conference or, or in a, a mixer or something, you come away with new relationships. I mean, Scott, you and I met at South by Southwest in 07, you know, at, at, and had we not been just chatting, we wouldn't, we wouldn't have met. We may not be connected today. So it is so important that, that we take the time to, to meet new people and, and, uh, and build those relationships. And what I talk about in networking or the, the, the three key steps of networking, the first is to show up and that might mean, you know, joining a chat like this, uh, it might mean uh, going to an event or a virtual event, but showing up. It's you know it's easy to to register for something and then not bother go. Uh, but when you actually show up, that's that's the first step. The second step is to follow up, and that means you know following up with the people that you met. And I have strategies to do that. And then catch up is the third point, which is you know six months later or a year later when that conference is coming back around, that's a perfect time to reach back out to that person to say, Hey, you know, I thought we should catch up before the next conference or before, you know, or if you're going this year, let's make sure to catch up over coffee when we're there in person. So, you know, these are the the three important steps to networking. That's fantastic. Again, with the three, you, you know, you're like a, well, you said it yourself, you're a communication connoisseur, show up, Follow up and catch up. I love that. Yes. Love that. Very easy to remember. Dave, I, I, I do remember meeting you at South by. I mean, it was my first time there, so it's very, uh, it, was, it was very impressed upon my brain. But uh, I had a secret weapon uh, that you probably recall. <laughs> One of the ways I, I made people uh, re- remember me on that very first visit, there was a guy by the name of Joey Avila, who was known as the accordion guy on Twitter and across the web. And, um, I play the accordion. So I asked Joey if I could borrow his accordion. And he's like, ha, 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 yeah, yeah, whatever. And he gave it to me on the, on the, on the sidewalk at South By, right outside of a restaurant. And, and yeah. I started jamming on it. <laughs> and a little crowd gathered around. And it was, it, was, it was fun. It was just one of those unexpected moments. But, again, right. it, was, it was different and it stood out. And, uh, it, and it was a nice experience for everyone. And um, It sure was. I have the photos to prove it. I know you do. You're, you're, you're behind that. So I, I have you yeah. to thank for that. Um, <laughs> so, so let me ask you this. When, when, you, when you talk about um, you know, this, this acronym, LISTEN, um, looking mm-hmm. interested, involving yourself, staying on target, testing your understanding, uh, empowering and neutralizing, yeah. why is it that so many people find it so difficult to be nice we see so much vitriol online we see people that are on deadlines that simply want results and bark at uh, employees or team members why is it so hard to be nice sometimes yeah i mean i think 
that's part of it. I think it is, uh, you know, especially living online like most of us do, especially these days, um, you know, time kind of can go out of the window and just disappear. And so you, you, you can, dip, you know, if you're very busy, you can be, you can feel like you're scrambling and, and just little interruptions here and there can, can kind of drive you in the wrong direction and uh, into, into like a negative sort of direction. So I think it, it's a matter of prioritizing what you're working on, but then also scheduling. And, and I must admit, you dropped off a little bit there. So but I, if I understand the, the question correctly, um, you know, I think it's, it's a matter of uh, scheduling time. Like, I think scheduling your time is so important. I do time blocking so that I can work on and focus on different aspects of my business or my personal life, um, you know, things like that, and then try to stick to that. Um, the way, the way that I do that is I have a, a, a Gmail Google calendar that I use that has this, uh, quote unquote ideal or killer calendar, as I like to call it, um, where I've, I've blocked off time to time during every day to specific things. And then what's great about this is you can overlay. So if anyone, you know, if you use Google Calendar, you know that you can turn on and off multiple calendars at any time. So I can visually put my regular work calendar over my killer calendar and, and see and make sure that I'm, I'm putting in, I'm scheduling the right things at the right times, if that makes sense. Um, and so this helps me balance my time um, so that I'm not, you know, flying off the handle at somebody who's interrupt interrupting me or or something like that. So uh, that's that's one way. If I if I understand your your question correctly, yeah, no, that, I think that's that's great. So uh, being deliberate with yourself, being um, yes. ruthless with your with your own time, um, yeah. giving yourself the ability to focus on what you need to, so you don't feel like you're pulled in too many directions. What about when there are things that are outside of our control, where, where we don't command our own schedule? Um, do you have any suggestions about how to kind of dig deep within to make sure we're not uh, we're not giving people the short end of the stick or, or flying off the handle, as it were? Absolutely. I think, uh, you know, the, so when I talked about the LISTEN acronym and I mentioned E as empowering, um, the other side of that that I usually talk about is evaluating the message. And what that means is uh, repeating the information so that you, uh, you're you sure that you receive the correct information. Um, and this can really play well to what you ask because if you evaluate the message, it helps you understand uh, all the steps and it helps you understand the, um, the, uh, you know, how time sensitive that, that thing is. So for example, you know, if, and, and the example, for some reason, years ago, when I was started delivering this as a, as a keynote, uh, for some reason, I used the example of if somebody gave me a box and said, Hey, Dave, and I have no idea why I use this example. It's bizarre, but anyway, it's kind of random, but if somebody gave me a box and they're like, Hey Dave, my boss, let's say my boss gives me a box and says, Hey Dave, I need this box cut into four pieces and I need all the pieces at our New York uh, office by 9am Monday morning. What you do then when you get that instruction or from, from someone is to repeat the information. So you say, so what you're saying is, so you begin. So what you're saying mm -hmm. is you need the box cut into four pieces and you need it in New York at our office there 9am uh, on Monday morning. Is that what you're saying? And when you say, so what you're saying is, and is that what you're saying? Especially when you're face-to-face -face, or even webcam, of course, um, a, a few different things happen here. First, um, the person who is giving you the instruction thinks, wow, Dave's paying attention. Good job, Dave. I love this guy. <laughs> what a nice employee. Um, so, so your boss feels confident in you because you've repeated the information. But also you get, you know, if you mess, mess it up, if I say, oh, I need these four pieces in, in our, you know, uh, uh, Toronto office by 9 a.m. Uh, no, no, no. New York. Um, by repeating it, you clarify it and you, you make sure that you've got the right information. But what's interesting, too, in the case of, of saying it out loud, especially, 
is your brain starts to pick it up. So mm. your brain realizes like, well, hold on, this guy's saying that out loud. So this must be important. So I better listen. And that helps you retain the information to remember exactly what it is that instruction is. So what I'm saying is, is that when you, <laughs> so what I'm saying is, um, uh, is by repeating the information, it helps to make sure that you are clear on the instruction and, and, and that the, the person that gave you that information uh, feels confident that you understand what, what's needed and, and also the urgency, you know, and, and that might mean you asking a follow-up question like, okay, yeah, I'll get, I'll get right to this. Um, you know, when, when would be the best time that you can expect, you know, that you would, you would want to expect this delivery, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, if that information isn't relayed at the top. So just making sure that you're managing expectations by repeating the information that will really help you in evaluating the, the urgency of that message. That's great. I, I think when we say these things out loud, you know, when, when, when you, when you write a tweet, right? Like, like you're, you're ready yeah. to, to fire something off at someone. And if you pause and read it back to yourself, you have an opportunity to think, wow, I sound like a real <laughs> a, a real moron or, you know, a real bad guy. Yeah. Uh, I don't want to use you profanity. Do. Uh, but yeah, there, there's, you do. <laughs> right, right. There's the opportunity yeah. to, to say, well, if I were on the receiving end of this, how would that feel? Yes. Or what would it do to the relationship? You know, I mean, if, well, go ahead. Yeah. Oh, no, I was just going to say to that point, like, I think it's very important. I wrote an article a few years ago that, that was quite popular about um, understanding, especially as it pertains to social media, is that you know this you know, these days maybe to a slightly lesser degree due to bots and things, but typically you are corresponding with a human, mm. and it's important to remember that there is a human on the other side of whatever that correspondence is. There is a human that's receiving that message, mm. and so yes, as you said proof not just proofreading it but pre you know reading it before you actually publish it is an important step and i'll, I'll share a, a story from the early days of twitter um i was flying to seattle to go to a, a tech conference there and uh this is probably 07 as well so early days and i was uh, i got a starbucks coffee at the airport and i was uh, at, i had sat down i was in my chair on the on the flight we hadn't even started taxing yet. I take the last gulp of this coffee, the Starbucks coffee, and it's all coffee grounds. Ugh. And so, and I have this woman sitting right next to me, of course, and I kind of coughed it up, like, <laughs> and it was on my hand. It was really gross. It was just a mouthful of coffee grounds. It was disgusting. And it had sort of spat up on my hand, and it's kind of, you know, on the cup, and it was gross. So I did what every like early social media, whatever you want to call me at the time. Uh, but I took a photo of it uh, uh, using TwitPic. There's there's mm-hmm. a little you know before Instagram. Um, I took a photo of it and I tweeted it to to at Starbucks and say, hey, at Starbucks, something to the effect of like, you may want to retrain your baristas on, you know, how not to have coffee grounds in the cup or it was something snarky. Mm-hmm. So I get to Seattle, I'm attending this conference, and of course, Starbucks is exhibiting, Starbucks is there as a sponsor. So I go over and, uh, and introduce myself to, to, the, to the guy standing there for Starbucks, and I said, you know, oh, hey, uh, you know, uh, and I wasn't there to complain or anything, but I said, the funny thing happened on the, way, on the way here. And he looks at my name badge and goes, yeah, Dave, I saw your tweet, I am at Starbucks. <laughs> And I just sank in my, I was just wow. like, oh, I'm so sorry for calling you out that way. So again, thinking, you know, keeping in mind that when you do correspond, even with a brand, a logo, um, this of course is a good argument for using your, your actual face as the, uh, the Twitter profile, which by the way, folks, Scott Monty is featured in my book, new business networking, because they used Scott, Scott used his face uh, when running digital for Ford so that I knew that when I'm, when I was talking about, uh, Ford or tweeting about Ford, I was tweeting to Scott. And so that is a great way of connecting and humanizing your brand is having that, that person there. So that's a great story, Dave. And thanks. Thanks for the shout out. Um, you know, I'm, I'm reminded of an old story and it's a true story about Abraham Lincoln. 
Uh, it was shortly after the Battle of Gettysburg, and he wrote a letter to General George Meade. Now, Meade was not known for being really responsive to Lincoln and Lincoln's wishes in the war. And, and, and he was, he was notoriously gun shy, not literally speaking, but he, you know, he, he was just very conservative and, and Lincoln wanted to end the war as soon as possible. And of course, Gettysburg was a defeat for the Confederates and Lincoln wanted Meade to pursue General Robert E. Lee and his troops and Meade didn't. So Lincoln wrote him a letter expressing his profound disappointment and you know basically expressing that he had reservations about Meade's leadership ability and Lincoln took this letter and he folded it up and he put it in a drawer and he never sent it and for Lincoln it was a cathartic moment he he needed to get the frustration out in some manner Right, So he, he put it down on paper. But he knew if he sent that letter, even if he eventually would and did fire Meade, it would destroy the relationship between them. You know, e- Even though there was a little bit of friction already, he didn't want to completely obliterate what he had there with his, mm. with his team. And I think about that today and how easy it is to fire off that tweet. You know, there, there was an instance not too many years ago where there was a PR representative who was getting on a flight to Africa, and she wrote something disparaging about HIV. Gets on the plane and, you know, wakes up, gets off the plane, however many, 14 hours later, and Twitter has, well, done what Twitter does, and, and <laughs> you know, came right down on her. She lost her job. I mean, like, she couldn't do anything about it because she made a poor choice. Instead of pausing and and thinking about what would be the what would be the kindest choice in that instance. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This is this is the power of of pausing and slowing down a little bit and 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 again thinking about you know I I have had an issue with a large uh, major coffee brand. Not Starbucks. It's a different one. Um, and have written and deleted a tweet to them over and over again okay. um, because I keep talking myself out of it. I'm like, well, what's the point? You know, like uh, the 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 short version is I was trying to to work with a coffee brand to send coffee to a nursing home where my dad resides mm-hmm. uh, in Canada, which I can't cross the border of course at this time so i can't even go visit him so i wanted to you know buy all the nursing staff you know a round of coffee and donuts and things and i was trying to coordinate this but anyway i digress um but i haven't i haven't been you know know, created a fuss about it because you know what's what's really the point at the end of the day um so to to your point about that i think pausing and slowing down before you hit publish um, or send that letter. Another powerful thing is to journal. Mm. Um, I found this to be extremely rewarding. And, and it's something that I've, I've picked up again over the last couple of years. You know, I'm not doing it quite as frequently as I'd like. But when you journal, you know, it's kept private to yourself. And so you can just, you know, just say whatever you want in your journal. Um, and then it's kind of out of your system. And you can rip out the pages and burn them if you want, or you can just keep it and look back at it later. Um, I find that's also really rewarding because, um, you know, I look, I, I have journals from like decades ago and I love looking back at them and realizing like, you know, whenever I'm, I'm feeling kind of crappy about whatever the circumstances are right now uh, with my business or whatever it may be, I can, I can look back at these old journals and realize like, you know what, I'm okay. Like life is actually a lot, lot better than it once was. So, mm. um, so it helps to put things in perspective. So writing journaling can really help as well. Just getting it out there and, and certainly, yeah, not, not sending that letter is probably a great idea. Yeah. So what are your plans with those journals long-term? That's a good question. Um, I don't, I don't know. Uh, it, it, it's a really good question because, um, you know, as a, well, now that I'm podcasting again, for the longest time, I was calling myself a recovering podcaster. Uh, <laughs> um, but I record a lot of voice memos to myself. Like mm-hmm. when I'm driving, I'll just talk to myself. 
but but for some reason I'll record it like like as a podcaster it just feels like I can't just talk to myself in the car that's weird but if I'm recording it well that makes sense and then I delete the recordings later and I had a couple of friends that I was telling this to recently who were like no don't delete them you need to keep them um so I don't I don't know with the with the old journals I have no idea what my what my plans are if anything well, you know, I mean, it may be a tool for the archivists of the future who want to write your biography. <laughs> or, yes, maybe, maybe. Or it may be a gift for your kids. You know, when, when each of my children was born, I bought a journal for each one of them yeah. and have been writing in it uh, since that time. Some Sometimes there's a lapse, but, you know, observations, yeah. things I want them to know. So it's a written record of what we have. And, and they can look back, you know, after I'm gone and look through uh, what I've left them. Um, and, you know, I don't know if yours are a little too personal to go to that level, but, you know, having having that written record and being able to reflect on it, I think, makes us more uh, conscious about the choices that we make today. Yeah, I, li- I love that idea. I once had an idea of writing them as emails mm. and then and then like. And then getting morbid, but not intentionally, not, not, not intentionally morbid here, but like scheduling the emails to, to start to deliver like once a week, you know, after my demise. Wow. It's like a, <laughs> but that might be kind of creepy. It's like a black mirror episode. Yeah. I think it, it really was. Is. <laughs> or maybe perhaps. Yeah. <laughs> but no, I love, I love your idea. I think, I think that's, that's a great idea. Um, my old journals are probably way too personal. The kids would be like, oh, no wonder I have this, you know, no wonder I'm crazy or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> uh yes 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 dave i i just i i mentioned the 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 term choice because really being nice and kindness these, these are choices that we make every single day when when something mm-hmm. happens to us or uh there's an event in the world the only thing we can control is our reaction to it and our reaction can be vitriolic our reaction can be uh, to embrace it uh, to pivot to show love or kindness to others and and it's really it 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 takes an effort Um, but the the ultimate symbol of of kindness the symbol of leadership kindness uh, is mr rogers and mr rogers years ago said when he's in a situation he asks himself he stops and he asks himself what would be the kindest choice Right? He, mm-hmm. pre- he presents itself, he presents it to himself where he, he says, I need to make a decision about how I'm going to react. Some, some way may be kinder than the other, but ultimately, how can I choose the kindest choice? And it's, it, it can be difficult sometimes, just as you, you've stated before, but ultimately the power rests with each one of us. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I love, I love that quote and, you know, and I, I hope everybody has seen uh, the, the the different uh, Mr. Rogers, the different uh, films. There's a, a wonderful documentary uh, that was made. And, and at the time, um, and uh, the name is, or was it The Neighborhood or, or something like that? I can't remember the name. Um, there's a couple different documentaries about, about Fred Rogers. Um, and I, I went to go see it in the theater, and it was just... I guess maybe 2016, 2017, politically, things were kind of ugly and, uh, and people were very, very divided. And they, and, and mm. I remember sitting in a crowded movie theater, remember movie theaters? <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, but I remember sitting in that movie theater and just with a bunch of strangers, all from different, you know, political, uh, backgrounds, I imagine, and uh, and going to the bathroom afterwards, and like all, the, I'm running into a friend there in the bathroom, and I was like, "Oh, how's it going?" And he's like, "Oh, pretty good, pretty good." And we're both like wiping our tears from our oh, eyes, and oh. and just realizing that like it was such a touching movie, but but realizing that you know um, there was there was a specific scene in it where they were where the the king the king puppet I forget his name King Friday uh, the Thirteenth. Yes, thank you. Yes, yes, yes. When he was building a wall. Mm. And it was perfectly timed with yeah. uh, the politics of the U.S. during that period, and uh, building a wall to block out everybody, and uh, and it really did resonate, um, you know, with with I think a lot of people yeah. realized, uh, yeah, yeah. 
But anyway, yes. That's, yes, I love Fred Rogers. That's that's great. Well, um, a quick story for you, and uh, after this story, uh, we'll we'll give the microphone to Eric, who we brought up to the stage. Um, that that yep. movie, which was uh, with with uh, Tom Hanks, uh, mm-hmm. and it was uh, I think it was called "Won't You Be My Neighbor." Um, yes, or maybe maybe well, that may be another one. There, there's so many Mister Rogers things popping in in uh, the public lately. But the the one you're talking about, it was based on. The relationship that Mister Rogers struck up with uh, Tom Junod from uh, Esquire magazine. Who actually, did... the one. I... Go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry, you dropped nope. off there. The, the one I was talking about was actually a documentary, but I okay. know the one you're talking about, and that was okay. also an amazing film. Yeah, so that that the, I think that is. Won't you be my neighbor? That's the documentary. Um, Got it. Yes, the one with Tom Hanks was the was the one with uh, with Tom Junod, who is a, a journalist. He did a a, a really strong piece. Uh, about Mr. Rogers and Esquire magazine in 1998, I think. And, and it was called, Can You Say Hero? And there's, there's one excerpt out of that I want to share because it, again, kindness and, and being nice, it's all about making choices. And Mr. Rogers, uh, made a choice, made a number of choices in this particular in- instance. Um, he was born with cerebral palsy. Cerebral palsy is something that happens to the brain. It means you can think, but sometimes can't walk or even talk. This boy had a very bad case of cerebral palsy. And when he was still a little boy, some of the people entrusted to take care of him took advantage of him instead and did things to him that made him think he was a very bad little boy. Because only a bad little boy would have to live with the things he had to live with. In fact... When the little boy grew up to be a teenager, he would get so mad at himself that he would hit himself hard with his own fists and tell his mother on the computer that he used for a mouth that he didn't want to live anymore. He was sure that God didn't like what was inside of him any more than he did. He always loved Mr. Rogers, though, and now, even when he was 14 years old, he watched the neighborhood whenever it was on. And the boy's mother sometimes thought that Mr. Rogers was keeping her son alive. She and the boy lived together in a city in California, and although she wanted very much for her son to meet Mr. Rogers, she knew that he was too far he was far too disabled to travel all the way to Pittsburgh. So she figured he'd never meet his hero. Until one day, she learned through a special foundation designed to help children like her son that Mr. Rogers was coming to California and that after he visited the gorilla named Coco, he was coming to meet her son. At first, the little boy was very nervous simply by the thought that Mr. Rogers was going to visit him. In fact, he was so nervous that when Mr. Rogers did visit, he got mad at himself and he began hating himself and hitting himself. And his mother had to take him into another room and talk to him. Mr. Rogers didn't leave, though. He wanted something from the boy. And Mr. Rogers never leaves when he wants something from somebody. He just waited patiently, and when the boy came back, Mr. Rogers talked to him, and then he made his request. He said, I would like you to do something for me. Would you do something for me? On his computer, the boy answered yes. He would do anything for Mr. Rogers. So then Mr. Rogers said, I would like you to pray for me. Will you pray for me? And now the boy didn't know how to respond. He was thunderstruck. A thunderstruck means that you can't talk because something has happened that's as sudden and as miraculous miraculous and maybe as scary as a bolt of lightning. And all you can do is listen to the rumble. The boy was thunderstruck because nobody ever talked to him like that. Nobody had ever asked him for something like that, ever. The boy had always been prayed for. The boy had been the object of a prayer. And now he was being asked to pray for Mr. Rogers. And although at first he didn't know if he could do it, he said he'd try. And ever since then, he keeps Mr. Rogers in his prayers and doesn't talk about wanting to die anymore because he figures Mr. Rogers is close to God. And if Mr. Rogers likes him, that must mean God likes him too. Just a, a profound story there about Mr. Rogers and the choices that he made and how he spoke to people, how he treated people how he decided to be kind and make the kindest choice. Long-time listener, first-time caller. (laughs) 
And uh, I was curious, is there any kind of research being done on niceness and leadership or niceness and performance in the business setting by, you know, the business schools or, you know, Harvard Business Review? Is anybody doing that kind of research? It's a great question. And uh, to be honest, um, I don't know off the top of my head, but what I would recommend is, uh, you know, and somebody who is near and dear to so many hearts, and that would be Brene Brown. Um, you know, Brene is obviously just a, such a, a, an amazing author and speaker um, and, and podcaster now as well. And, and, you know, part of her sweet spot is research. Um, and so she does do qu- a lot of research uh, into this type of thing and into, you know, the use of empathy and leadership. So I would recommend Brene Brown's work uh, to refer to any, any studies, uh, you know, off the top of my head. Okay, great. Thank you. Yeah, that's a that's Thanks, a Eric. that's a great question, Eric. Um, yeah, you know there is um, there's there's a piece on the U.S. Chamber of Commerce uh, Commerce Foundation that's uh, the business case for kindness, uh, and they mention a few studies. There's a 2016 study from PwC from their CEO survey mm. that finds that kindness increases employee commitment to the organization. It eliminates communication barriers. It minimizes negative competition among staff and strengthens relationships with business partners and investors. Uh, and there's probably at least a half dozen other uh, studies on that page as well. Um, what I'll do, Eric, is I will put that in the show notes on on timeless.zealous.com. And uh, for anyone who is a premium subscriber to the Timeless and Timely newsletter, um, I will be posting this podcast episode uh, to the newsletter along with uh, links from the show, including to uh, to Dave's sites and uh, that Chamber of Commerce study. It looks like we have a question coming from Matt. Matt, welcome to Timeless Leadership. Hi, Scott and Dave, and um, hi, Eric, as well, and everyone listening. Just had a quick question for um, our host and also our guest speaker today. What, in each of your own perspectives, is your best tip or your number one tip for fostering kindness in every relationship and person that you deal with Mm. um, in your working lives, in your personal lives, you know, just across the board? Dave, what do you think? What's your what's your tip well, for what you do with every relationship that is uh, that, that you want kindness or, or niceness based at the core? Yeah, and it's a it's a great question, Matt. I think you know, and I, I mentioned the word empathy, and I think empathy. You know, if we can all lead with empathy, um, the world would be a, a lot better place. And 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 again, that's putting yourself in the shoes of anybody that you're you're interacting with. Um, whether it's online or offline, you know, in person, whatever. Um, it, it's really just thinking what they might be going through. Um, I think a lot of the negativity that we run into, especially on social these days, um, you know, I think taking a step back and thinking like, you know, especially when you hear negative stories or sensationalist news stories and things like that is, is just pause and think, you know, you know, why am I getting this information and, and what is it all about and what's what's the purpose? Um, so putting yourself in the shoes could be like in an empathetic way, but also in a way just to to study the information and, and where it's coming from. I've I've been a big fan of uh, like Noam Chomsky's work. And, you know, I read Manufacturing Consent when I was a kid. So I know I'm kind of getting into sort of the the misinformation uh, and disinformation campaigns and things that take place online. But I think it, it, it it's similar to even just a misunderstanding with a colleague, because if you stop, pause, as we talked about a little bit here today, um, and then put yourself in the shoes of that person or that organization to decide like what's in it for them. Why are they, why are they coming? Why are they approaching this topic in this way? Um, uh, you know, you can, you can kind of pause and, and, and reflect on that. And that can stop you from, uh, either retweeting a, p- a piece of misinformation or sensationalist news or whatever. And it can also stop you from responding in a negative way to somebody who says something that pushes your buttons. Um, you know, I think, I think it's very important to always pause and put yourself in the shoes of the person. That doesn't mean that they're not wrong. <laughs> they could be wrong. 
Um, there are jerks out there as well. Absolutely. Um, but I think it's important. And I think a lot of the, the negative stuff that we, we come across these days comes from a fear, uh, a background of fear. And so even thinking about why they're saying what they're saying and why, you know, what could be, uh, what, what can be causing them, uh, fear, I think is often, uh, often causes some of the stuff that, that I'm talking about. So, mm. Was there- Matt, where are you based? So yeah, guys, I'm actually based in Dublin, Ireland. Um, yeah. I came from a communications background, oh. so I have studied, a, you know, a multiple discipline course, you know, ranging mm. from production of content right through to public relations, which I'm mm. sure Scott can, you know, speak to for for hours on end. <laughs> Yeah. Um, and also just in general, kind of the, the theory of, of content as well, as you mentioned, Noam Chomsky and a, a whole bunch of other great um, people that you can gain so much insight from um, on those areas. So I've been studying this for quite some time and to hear it brought out into meta level values like kindness and empathy and active listening and things like that. It's uh, it's super cool. Thanks, Matt. Yeah. And, and, you know, another another key thing is to, um, you know, when you are uh, speaking with people or corresponding with people from other cultures or other backgrounds or other languages is to make sure that the language you're choosing uh, is clear. And, and uh, I will I will very quickly share uh, a story of my first time in Dublin. Uh, and I went to a pub, uh, as you do, and I was by myself and I met two guys there who, you know, I, I, I quickly learned that the Irish are very quick to, uh, to welcome newcomers. And, uh, so I was, I, I, you know, I had a, <laughs> so I had a few pints with these guys and at the end of the night, uh, probably more than a few, but at the end of the night, we, uh, were on the, on the, on the sidewalk outside of the pub and they're saying, Dave, you know, you should come out with us tomorrow night if you're still going to be in Dublin before you move on to your next destination. And I said, yeah, that sounds great. And then and then his friend who hadn't talked quite as much that night said uh, he said, yeah, we'll have some good crack. And I paused and I thought, what? And he's like, yeah, we'll have good crack. And I'm like, uh, and I was kind of dumbfounded. And then his friends like, no, he means like, you know, we'll have a good time. And I'm like, but, you know, I'm, I'm not into that. <laughs> and what I realized, of course, and for those listening who don't understand what the word crack is, it's an Irish word for having a good time, having a laugh, having conversations, having a good crack, you know, good crack. And so I learned that way. So, yeah, so language is also something. Uh, I have plenty of other stories of that. Um, by the way, Matt, I lived I lived in Galway, Ireland for a couple of years or Galway for a couple of years, um, which is how I ended up living in Nashville, Tennessee, is I met my uh, American wife in Galway of all places. So small world. <laughs> yeah, that's super awesome. Um, Scott, I might turn it over to you if, if you have any thoughts or maybe you want to wrap up i'm not too sure thank you matt um glad you're here thanks for that question um and and dave you you remind us that uh, as oscar wilde put it uh the uk and america are two countries who are separated by a common language uh, powerful reminder there um my advice matt is is much more tactical than dave's and it's again a very simple kind of gesture but it speaks volumes I try to create and send out as many personalized communications as I can. And I'm not talking about the, the, the form letter kind of thing where it's dear first name and your first name gets uh, put in, Matt. I'm talking about handwritten letters. I'm talking about um, you know taking the time to really spend time, like Dave said, the, the catch-up part of networking. Right? It's that personalization part. And, and Dave is a recipient of some of my handwritten notes as well. Um, yeah, yeah. In this day and age, particularly when everything is digital, uh, something physical, like a handwritten note, really stands out. And, and it makes people feel very special. Uh, you know, and Mr. Our, our friend Mr. Rogers there, he used to get so much uh, fan mail, and yet he would take the time. He would get up early, and he would take the time every single day to write notes back to everyone who wrote to him. He was that invested in those relationships. So I think that that really matters. 
Um, it looks like we have uh, Courtney who wants to come up. So, uh, Courtney, I'm going to bring you up to the stage. I think we, this is this is uh, our last time, our, our last question that we'll have an opportunity for. Uh, so, Courtney, you'll get the last word before we uh, officially go out and thank Dave. Well, I, I better make it good then. Hopefully it'll be. <laughs> <laughs> no pressure. No pressure. Um, you know, and, and I, I don't know that other people can relate to this part as much as I do or that they might for different reasons. But I know for me, like uh, some of the things that, that you were discussing regarding, uh, you know, first of all, just like being knowledgeable about the um person like you know it's like oh you know remember their name or whatever or you know be engaged like look them in the eye and that kind of stuff some of that can be difficult for me in my case because i'm profoundly deaf i have a cochlear implant one ear and a hearing aid in the other ear so you know i may not be making eye contact with them i'm probably reading their lips i you know uh, have a hard time remembering people's names because even when i hear them i don't trust that i heard them right so Mm. uh, i do a lot of it like hey you you know and, you know, um, or, or sometimes I know, like, I had, like, 11 years of speech therapy, like, in school and, and privately. So uh, mm. the whole, you know, the tone of my voice, I don't necessarily always know what the tone of my voice might come off like. So I just wonder if there are alternative ways that I can make sure that I'm conveying that through other strategies uh, to, to kind of compensate and make sure like the message doesn't get lost. I don't come across a different way than what I'm intending. It's a great question, Cardi. Um, and thank you. I, uh, a friend of mine, Scott Rouse just wrote a book, which is fantastic. He is a body language expert and, and not, uh, some self-proclaimed expert. Like he is the guy that the FBI call for interrogations like he's or one of the guys, I guess, but he is uh, just brilliant at body language, at reading body language. And um, so I would encourage you to to take a look out for his book. It's on Amazon and all the usual places. Um, Scott Rouse, R-O-U-S-E. But one of the caveats he has in the book that he mentions a few times is, you know, there are body language um, things that we do. Like his point to it is that you can combine different different reading, different aspects of body language to get a better idea. So the point is the caveat is that just one move like crossing the arms doesn't necessarily mean the person is, you know, reserved or doesn't want to hear from you. They could just be cold. Um, So it's it's combining different different uh, readings from body language. Uh, But, um, yeah, so I I hope that helps. Um, Scott, I know you've you've uh, you've written about. Um, you know, uh, with like uh, your your experiences with uh, tinnitus and, and some other things. So uh, I will uh, p- pass the mic to you, too. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've got a, a hearing disability. Uh, I wear hearing aids. Uh, it doesn't completely compensate for it, and it doesn't, um, doesn't bring my hearing up to full scale. Uh, so there are times when it might seem like I'm ignoring people or – like I'm disinterested and it's not, it's just that either I haven't heard or I can't hear because it's a noisy environment and the technology is improving over time. Thank goodness. Uh, and, and now we have so many different methods of communicating. You know, when I was a resident assistant in, uh, in college, I had a student on who lived on my floor who was profoundly deaf and he would call me on the phone every once in a while. And he had the teletype operator who, you know, he had the, the terminal in his room and he would type it out. And then the, the operator would read it to me and then I would respond to the operator and then she would type back to him. It was a very clunky way of doing things, especially when you consider all the technology we have at hand now. Um, but it gave me great empathy for people with hearing disabilities because there's so much nuance in sound there there's so many things that we don't pick up on and to me observing the deaf community it's a very isolating way of having to live uh, and and you know I, there there are all kinds of disabilities that isolate people but to me what i've seen with deafness you know sound is such an intimate part of how we communicate with each other and there are so many subtleties that happen 
that you know it really takes an extra effort to go and make sure we are over communicating or being explicitly clear about what we would like to get across uh, when we are dealing with people who have hearing disabilities. So it's a powerful lesson. So Courtney, thank you for uh, bringing that up. Uh, you know, and and Dave, to your uh, to your point uh, earlier when you were talking to Matt. You know, it's really about understanding our common language and where, where we're from and geographically and culturally, you know, this, this all comes into the mix. Really, it comes down to understanding other people and making choices based on what you know about them. Dave Delaney, uh, you can find him at davedelaney.me. Uh, all sorts of stuff there, including Dave's nice newsletter, his nice podcast, uh, his book uh, about uh, networking. Um, make sure you check that out. We'll have the show notes and, and, and the recorded version of this program in the Timeless and Timely newsletter tomorrow for our premium subscribers. Dave, any last words before we sign out? Be nice. Be nice. I love it. Well, Dave, thank you for being here. <laughs> thank you, Scott. It was a pleasure. Thanks, everybody. Being nice is a choice. A choice we can make every day if it's a priority. The world needs more kindness, and there's no reason that it can't start with you. What would be the kindest choice? Thank you for joining us and for being an advocate for timeless and principled leadership whenever and wherever you find it. I'm Scott Monty. Until next time, may you dream more, learn more, do more and become more, for you are a leader.